Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. quick note, everyone. Some of you have asked how you can support the podcast. So I now have two ways. If you're podcast obsessed, then you may have a Patreon account and can find me at patreon.com slash free birth podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash free birth podcast. Or you can support the podcast directly through my website at freebirthsociety.com via PayPal. As always, if you'd leave a review on iTunes, it helps the podcast be more visible. All right. Thank you. We're back this week with part two of the conversation I had with elder midwife, Sister Morningstar. I did want to ask you to touch quickly on, you had mentioned that you don't necessarily resonate with that term unassisted. And I actually agree, but I'd love to hear what you mean by that when you say you don't really use that term necessarily with free birthing. Well, because I, I don't believe it's true. I mean, exactly. It, it's just not true. Um, unassisted is a term that was used for um, filling out birth certificates when mm. there wasn't a, uh, a a legal person there. So it's called, it was called an unassisted birth because there there was not an there was no one helping with that birth. It was a doctor. I should say lawyer or Indian chief, but you know what I mean? There wasn't a, a recognized, you used the word uh, regulated, in Mexico used the words recognized, but a legally recognized person, so it was called an unassisted birth. But now that we are talking in this, you know, bigger uh, digital world and connected world place to use the word uh, unassisted birth, is is not accurate. If there's any, first of all, the baby's assisting the mom. The mom's assisting the baby. Period. Even if she's just all by herself under a tree, then there's great spirit. Right. There's the great spirit. There's the ancestors. You know, who knows a host of whatever else. There's mm-hmm. millions of years of biology, and that's probably the biggest assister right there. Mm-hmm. Billions of years of biology that has every intention, if there's any way possible for a live mother and a live baby to come out of the situation, nature has every intention that everybody's going to make it. And birth's the easiest thing nature takes care of, you know, (laughs) as far as all of that goes. Mm -hmm. And then if you have somebody else there, whether it's, you know, the father or a sister, a mother... A, a neighbor down the street, me on the phone a thousand miles away. Um, there's so much assistance going on mm-hmm. that it's just so inaccurate. It's an error in thinking and an error in in truth to say that a, a mother is birthed unassisted. Now, she's kind of, we could use the word unassisted if she's got a room full of people who aren't helping. In almost every one of our hospitals right now, I'm not mm-hmm. picking on hospitals and bless you all out there who are helping and you know with uh, with sacred hands. But but in general, if if a mother's you know and she feels it when it's over, you can hear it in her birth story mm-hmm. that there was nobody there for her. That's unassisted. Yeah. But but this term that we're trying to use to define where where women are birthing. With 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 consciousness and power, and you know, look at our Texas right now. I was I've got a candle burning for Texas because think of all those mothers and babies. There's got to be babies trying to be born. Totally. Oh, and there they are trying to get to a hospital or a clinic when they they could just be relaxing. Mm-hmm. They're at and Ruth Ruth Walsh has made a beautiful training called. Um, uh, basic disaster birth support that that is just reclaiming that kind of thing. I teach that, you know, with with Ruth's permission all over the world too, on how to just 
anybody, an eight-year-old boy. I've, t- I've taught uh-huh. 12-year-old boys how to help a woman having a baby because we've all lo- lost touch with how to do it, uh-huh. which means, like, create some sacred space and privacy. Find some way where she can poop or a warm blanket for her baby. Hey, listeners, if you're liking what you're hearing, leave me a review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get seen by more potential listeners. Let's get these stories and this important information out there. Now back to the show. Every time I see a birth in the car, that those pictures go viral. I always feel very sad. And I, my first thought is, it's really sad that she didn't feel safe to stay at home and have her baby in the most normal way and in the most right. private setting and how chaotic that must have felt to birth your baby in transit or in the hospital parking lot. And yet if we've gotten to the mind of mothers so that they think so that so that they feel like the only place I'll be safe is the hospital. Exactly. Then then they're chaotic relaxing at home so we we've got a lot of work to do but we can reclaim this it it won't take much because the reality is yeah that's horrible that's crazy no one should be a woman shouldn't be rushing to get anywhere somebody Mm -hmm. should be rushing to help her if she wants the help you know someone else should be rushed everything should be happening where she's around her yeah around her if she wants help then fine somebody should be rushing to get there but she shouldn't have to be rushing anywhere. She should be able to go into her old brain and just do what she does. One time I was teaching, it was actually at Uzazi Village with uh, Sherry Payne's group, uh, teaching basic disaster birth support. And I gave the example of, okay, there you are, you're in a disaster. We go over all kinds of disasters and the things that, you know, how do you how do you gather, you know, how do you even make a private space if there's a tornado, if there's a flood, if on and on. But let's say the mother, most of these mothers are going to have planned to birth in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Now, most people aren't planning to birth out of, out of home, I mean, out of hospital. And say she's had a couple of cesareans and she's freaking out and she's screaming, you've got to get me to a hospital. You know, you've got to. You don't understand I'm going to die. I can't just burst like this. Only you can't get anywhere. You're in a disaster. You know, I, I'm preparing people who to help. You know, people take CPR to help, you know, somebody if they're having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Globalize the global citizen to know how to help a mom, you know, if she's having a baby on an airplane, wherever. Anyway, it was so interesting to hear the responses of, like, the doctors or the um uh, you know the nurses that work with uh, neo, the the NICU nurses. Uh-huh. They all start so they're in a disaster. They know they uh, can't get anywhere. And I said, so what would you say to her? And they say things like, oh, they start spurting out like statistics. Well, you know, you're probably going to be okay. Here are the statistics. I know if we could get to a hospital, we'd do that. But blah blah blah. And of course, that's not reassuring to her. And then the kind of doulas and the the lay midwives and, and they start telling her emotional support things like, you know, we're we're here for you, you know, you're not alone, we're gonna be here for you. And then Sherry Payne, who is a, a powerful um blackbird keeper who's a current um reclamation of her own ethnic heritage is Hakima and she shouts out from the back 
There ain't no surgical suite here, honey, so let's get on with having this baby. <laughs> and that's what does it, like, right? Mm-hmm. sense of, like, and, and we, we've yeah. got to reclaim it. We don't have to wait for a disaster to reclaim it. Certainly. So do you have a, a term that you, this might be kind of a stupid question, but do you have a term that you like or that you enjoy using or celebrating in, in place of this ever-growing concept of unassisted? Do you just call that birth or is there a specific term that you enjoy that feels more accurate to you than unassisted? Um. I never use, yeah, as you, I mean, we've gone over this. I don't ever use unassisted. I probably don't like fad terms, so, you know, I don't say free birth. Uh, like if I was talking to a woman, you know, I'm going to ask her where you're having your baby. She's going to say where she's having her baby. Anybody going to be with you? No, there's not going to be anybody with me. Or, yeah, I think I'm going to birth in a cave with my dog or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, that's who's gonna be with you. I don't I don't think I oh I know what I use. I I use birthing in power. Mm pretty. Yeah. That's probably what I say. Oh because you you know, until a birth is over, you don't know how you're gonna birth. Sure. Do you think you can do that? Do you think it's even possible under the obstetrical model? To birth in power, like, with your obstetrician? Yeah, like in even a, in the hospital setting, is that even potentially applicable? Oh, well, I, I wouldn't call that birthing in power. I call that birthing in captivity. So when yeah. those women tell me that plan, then I say, oh, you're birthing in captivity. How is that, how is that um, received? Well, you know, usually either with shock, you know, or horror. Usually shock or horror, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And that's that's when I usually start talking about, you know, zoos and 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 how anthropologists, uh, you know, especially you know, very caring people who care about mammalian births of endangered species, which we are, humans are endangered species, mm-hmm. because once you have dif- a certain amount of difficulty conceiving a child, which we're now seeing all over the planet, so so happy for those who who conceive easily, but we're, we're seeing that increasing number and percentage. And then once you have a, a percentage overlay of women who who are having trouble birthing on their own, females birthing on their own, then that sector of animal is considered an endangered species because if a female can't conceive and can't birth on her own, that species is endangered. Mm-hmm. And the first thing to if, if the species is endangered is they start moving their hands off. They're like, holy mother mm-hmm. of God, we have got to leave these animals alone because they're if they can't birth and they can't bond and they can't breastfeed, we're in trouble. Soon, yeah, we're in deep, we're in deep trouble. So they know to stay back. There's the best. I'll send you the link. My my favorite birth um, video that I share with people, show people. My youngest daughter, who uh, births at home, birthed at home too, of course. It was the only birth video she watched her whole pregnancy, but it's of. Uh, a chimpanzee giving birth in uh in actually a russian um a russian zoo uh but it's awesome awesome and she resuscitates her own baby and she's got a midwife uh chimpanzee with her but for people who are birth keepers it's awesome to see that the the birth keepers of the of the zoo they lock themselves outside so that they just can't get in like they can't mess with that birth even when the baby's in so much trouble and has to be resuscitated, like they keep keep out. But, but even anyway. that, even even that birthing in captivity is more hands off and respectful than birthing in captivity as a human. 
That, that's what I'm telling you, Emily. That, that's the story that I tell them. So you can see that humans are increasingly birthing, you know, in a, in a controlled environment with somebody else managing their birth. They're birthing in captivity. And we are increasingly an endangered species because of it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that a woman shouldn't birth wherever she wants to birth. And she certainly has a right. It is my biggest current, my biggest current uh, uh, frustration, in addition to all my passions, is that we have created a a medical uh, system that is so exquisite. It's amazing. So it can take, I'll go back to the automobiles, but it can take an automobile accident that's horrid, like bodies chopped apart, you know, terrible, entangled uh, limbs and bleeding to death, and we can rush them to an emergency room, and they can save a life and, like, put it back together. And they don't, again... Nobody is, like, taking the person to court and criminal activity or or, or treating them horribly or saying, we're not going to help you because you're nothing but a train wreck or 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 condemning it. Who sold you that car? We're going to mm-hmm. take them to court and put them in jail. They should have never sold you that car. Whatever. Like, everybody just rushes to help and save a life, and then they feel great about it. The whole team feels great. We saved this life. And yet a mother who comes in in trouble, whether it was a home uh, transport or... She was irresponsible. Exactly, Emily. Yeah. All of this happens, and these are the same skills. These are the same skilled institutions and staff that can save a life of somebody that's in trouble. Much less dramatic with a birth. Uh, Absolutely. So we know we can do it. We just have to have a shift in consciousness. A complete. So do you do you think that anyone births in the like chooses not from a lack of privilege or option, but someone who chooses to birth in the hospital could be choosing it from any space other than fear? Because that's my um, that's I, my problem with it, where it's like, yeah, everyone should choose wherever they feel best, and everyone should have a right to make that choice a hundred percent, but. If that choice is from this systemic, hundred-year-old, you know, propaganda that birth is inherently dangerous and an emergency waiting to happen that needs to be saved from, are you really making a true intuitive choice? Um, well, I, I would say definitely, I mean, I'm sure there's fear because people usually use the opposite word that's so popularized right now in our culture, right, is safety, so right. they want to be safe, right? But that's from fear. Um, but that's conditioning. So <laughs> yeah. I think instinct injury, nature deficit, cultural conditioning, and then a, a lack of, you know, hardly any of these women have probably been in a village prenatal over and over and over, hearing powerful birth stories, dancing around a fire circle, and yeah, being fed and somebody rubbing their feet. So. You know, when you when you are coming from a, a void, a, an injured instinct, and no stories, and no love, and no excitement. I mean, most women start out, not all, and certainly, certainly sometimes with very good reason. But a lot of women start out excited about their birth, or mm-hmm. excited about having a baby, and it's only after being worn down with, well, I'm not sure if there's enough fluid, or you know, mm-hmm. on and on. I don't know if it's growing right. Oh, it's growing a little bit too much. And, you know, just worn down with these unfun, unhappy. Transgressions. Yeah. You know, number game things of like your amniotic fluid index is whatever. They don't need, who's learned that? Who learned that? When the mother has a live creature in there that's giving her all this information and feedback and, you know, so it's a, it's a lack of joy, and and mm-hmm. and, and I don't just mean fluff and romantic joy. We've had women drag in here, sick as snot, worn out, you know, looking like near death. I mean, they're not in any good shape to have a baby, of course. And so, what do we do? We like, I'm, I'm like calling out, you know. 
Elizabeth, run start the bath water. Maya, run down to the creek and get some wild rose petals. And mm. now, Carissa, start cooking. And Sister Joy, bring over some of your best, you know, smoothies. And you know, everybody, like, let's get a drum circle going on the outside, and and let's get silent and put a handmaiden in with her. This woman needs fed and rested, and mm-hmm. we don't we don't take care of our pregnant mothers, and then. Of course they're scared. Yeah. If we start taking care of our pregnant mothers, they're going to go, they're going to choose to birth where they're cared for mm-hmm. and not by machines. It's true. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's it my is deepest prayer. Oh, it, it's just, it is fun. It's hard work. It's the hardest work a woman ever does. And it's a privilege. You know, if you are the father, it's not normal for men to be at birth, but <laughs> if you if you are there, um, you know, or a sister or a friend or even, you know, animals, dogs and cats, they know it's a privilege. They get quiet. Mm-hmm. They get quiet by themselves in the closet. Yeah, it's, a, it's wonderful to have animals at birth, but if you are a human and you're in the presence of that, that's a privilege. You're on holy ground. You know, and then there we are. Look what we've done to the midwives. Yeah. We've made them professionals so that they are busy worrying about, you know. Themselves. They're they're worrying about if they've charted right. They're mm-hmm. worrying about, you know, if they're going to get hauled in for missing a protocol or a regulation or go to court. or. Uh, and, and I know. I've been arrested and been through it's a trial. It's a witch hunt. Absolutely. Or they're, they're they're just worried about a million things. So when I work with midwives, which is different than mothers, you know, I always ask them, well, what would you do if you were on an island? Because, of course, I take hundreds of emails and calls constantly from women. or like, sister, what would you do in this situation and that situation? New Zealand or wherever, all over the world. And I say, well, what would you do if you were on an island? I'm not saying we should have to be on an island. No, of course, you and I love islands. But <laughs> I mean an island where you can't get any help. And, sure. and we shouldn't have to be that way. I just gave the example of what, how a, how a, a modern uh, healing center, hospitals are supposed to be healing centers. Women know how to make. How did we let patriarchy create healing centers that go beep, beep, and have bright lights. Like, women know how to create healing centers. We would have extra people listening to stories. We'd have beautiful smells going on. We'd have more than a half-dead plant at the reception table. Uh You know, we'd have waterfalls inside or live live gardens. Yeah, it would make completely different Pretty much the opposite. And we can do it, and we are doing it. You and I are doing it right now. Well, and this is a perfect segue into the last thing I did want to touch on with you around this incredible, powerful letter that you wrote a couple of months ago um, that, you know, as I shared with you before, just I think I speak for a lot of people, but I'll speak for myself right now, that when I read that, it was like reading art inside my own heart. You know, it was like reading words that I hadn't been able to articulate and and organize for myself that I had been feeling deep, deep in my heart for a long time around where regulated midwifery was going and the, the dangers of it and the pain around it that I have as a doula and a birth attendant seen harm women and their babies and I just I just was so blown away by this letter and and it went kind of viral throughout social media and um, I think a lot of people are really curious how things feel for you after this letter and how it affected your life and what the response was if you're willing to share that I'm very curious about that how NARM responded and are you now intentionally uh, independent again and anything that you're comfortable talking to about that I'd be very curious to know 
it is a very de- delicate, you know, um, I'm, I'm not going to say difficult, but delicate subject. Um, and, and I would like to first say humbly that um, writing that letter was just a fluid, um, easy thing to do because it had been years that I had been pondering, standing in my own creek, you know, tossing sage and lavender into my own fire circle and really discerning what to do, what to do, because I was seeing more and more harm happening than good coming out of uh, the professionalizing of the art of something. It's the art of midwifery. And even though there was some legalization that happened and certainly a lot more midwives out there, you know, a lot more training in terms of that, of recognized midwives, but like like when Texas went legal, under the registry before it was legalized, there were thousands of midwives, and then it shrank to hundreds, and then we like to talk about how they're increasing. But that's called a decrease. You know, it's not always easy to talk about the decrease when you want to talk about the increase. And so you've already heard a little bit about what midwifery is in defined in my life, like mm-hmm. the way I know midwifery. And it it started to look like a different animal. Yeah. And so even though I'm I was so so part of the beginning and so part of uh supporting uh how how can we reclaim birth as the the straw that broke the camel's back ended up being neonatal resuscitation. So every year when I would take it, you know, or not every year, every two years, I was more and more troubled by the very first time I took it. I think I wrote about it in the book. It was a horrifying experience, and there were like 30 of us in the class. And the teacher was was very strict, or maybe that's good or bad, who knows. But she said, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, invested in any of you all passing this. And only three of us did out of that 30. And they were nurses and this and that. She just had her way about it. I met three Mexican midwives at that time in Chicago and ended up working in Mexico for 15 years after that because of meeting those midwives. But anyhow, then it fast-forwarded and year after year, it would just become more and more and more disassociated with the mother uh, connected with her baby. It was all about getting the baby away from the mother and then what you're going to do to this baby to make this baby breathe. Yep. And I reached a point, and it was re- it was a required, uh, a, it's one of the required things for, uh, you know, to retain your uh, certified professional midwifery uh, certificate. And by the way, I'm number five, like of all the certified nurse midwives, uh, not nurse midwives, all the certified professional midwives uh, in in our country, uh, we were all you know, the first ones, and we hmm. were like, oh, let's make Abby Candy number one, and whatever, <laughs> you know. Anyhow, I was number five. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I, I reached a point. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. It's hurting babies. They're cutting cords, separating babies from mothers. Why are we cutting off oxygen, and then trying to give oxygen? And then, of course, there's you know, there are wonderful people out there teaching home birth type resuscitation. That's great. But that's not what neonatal resuscitation teaches um, in terms of its program, unless right. you're in a disaster or uh, another country. And then they'll say, oh, well, now then, in that case, handle it differently. Totally. Well, then this last year, they decided you have to study all of it, you know, including the meds and this and that. And I was like, no, I'm not willing to do it anymore. And in fact, by then I had already become passionate about newborn uh, first breaths, which I've been going around the world teaching now about the five universal things mothers do that just naturally resuscitates their babies. Mm, mothers, will you share uh, them? I can't really share it right right now because it's just, it, it, we don't have enough time. Gotcha. But I've been teaching in, in Maui and the islands in November, and I, I teach. I just taught it in Norway and Russia and 
all over the place, but they're easy and they're recognizable. And mothers do them. Nobody has to teach a mother how to do mm-hmm. them. She just does them. They're th- they're just. Oh, I can name the five universal things you watch That's for. That's what I meant. Oh yeah, that'd be easy to to mention. So when a mother has her baby, if nobody's bothering her, like if she's undisturbed. And that could be in any setting, but she's undisturbed. But to be undisturbed, you have to have at least three feet halo, or I call it a halo. But people have to be back at least three feet. If she's having her baby and you're back at least three feet, she doesn't even know you're there. She's just already in another zone in the world of her own. And the first thing she's going to do, it may take her a moment, but the first thing she's going to do is look. She's going to look at her baby. She's not going to look around the room unless you're in her space. She might, mm-hmm. or a husband that's trying to kiss her ear, or all kinds of weird stuff. But anyway, if there's nobody bothering her, she's going to look. The next thing she's going to do is touch. If she's a first-time mother, that might take a moment. Like if you've watched birthing in a squatting position. Mm-hmm. Those that's are beautiful of of a mother just looking and touching. And then, and then in between there, she's going to start to vocalize. She's going to say something. It's usually not... Uh, doesn't necessarily make any sense. But she's going to make sounds, you know, vocalize to her baby. And and then she's going to pick her baby up. She doesn't pick it up by its feet or, you know, what. she picks her baby up and she brings it to her heart. She brings it close to her. She doesn't put it on her knee. You know, she brings it up to her. And then she's going to use her mouth and she's going to mouth her baby. And if she's really, if there's just really nobody around, she's going to get her mouth right where the baby's mouth is. She's going to kiss her baby all over, lick her baby, you know. And if she wasn't a human female, she'd be, you know, sucking her baby, licking her baby. Humans do that too. But they definitely will kiss their baby. And and they get air in their, you know, that mouth-to-mouth just starts to happen. It's just a natural thing that starts to happen but all these things and she doesn't cut a cord she leaves the cord alone doesn't even occur to her and all these things are doing all the things that the stimulating and getting oxygen to the baby and warming the baby and on and on and on and on but she's the the first and the best natural resuscitator of her baby's first breath, or we could call it not a resuscitator. Well, she's a she's the best resuscitator, but she is, she is the best contributor is a better mm-hmm. word to the baby's first breath, and then second breath and third breath. Because the first breath isn't any good; it's not going to take a second one, yeah, and a third one, and a fourth one. And the mother is the best one for that. This whole skin to skin is a pitiful. Pitiful, um, pathetically pitiful uh, impersonation of all of this. Absolutely, or the delayed cord Mm -hmm. clamping is a pitiful, pathetically pitiful. Like just leave them alone, leave them alone, and watch what she does. Now, sometimes a mother's dead, then she can't do it, or non-responsive, or Whatever. That's a whole nother. That's like people saying, if you don't know how to do every possible intervention, right. that, that's that kind of, you know, those people. It, it's And it's not for like a 23-week baby. We're not talking about sure. ridiculous Special circumstances. We're not talking about that. We're, we're talking about birth that almost everybody's attending and messing with. And they know it. We know we're messing with it. We got to mess with it because we have to chart it. Mm-hmm. We got to chart that we did that or this or that yep. or whatever. So anyway, back to what happened was I had already become passionate about what I had observed. I got to see in India a breech baby born. I knew it was going to happen. I could just, I I knew this was true, but I knew that a cord would, even if it was limp, if the baby took a since the since the placenta is a fetal organ, and it's not the mother's blood pressure that, you know, circulates oxygen and blood to the baby, but it's actually the baby pulling that to itself, then that, I knew that it, 
a baby that was even in trouble that that took its breath would start to re-plump up that cord. Hmm. But of course, I'd never seen it because I've never, I've been too busy being a, a good professional. <laughs> yeah. To see what was obvious. But I was in, I was in India and I, I got to observe a breech birth. And it was a little, little bit challenging, beautiful breech birth. But I told myself, sister, don't take your eyes off the cord. Don't take your eyes off the cord. Don't take your eyes off the cord. And this baby comes out, eventually comes out, of course. And it's, you know, a little, the, the cord had come out plump and beautiful, but then it went white and limp. And the baby came out, and it kind of needed a little bit of help. And I was telling, you know, discipline. I'm a disciplined person. So I disciplined myself, you know, don't take your eyes off the cord. I watched this limp white cord. And the baby doesn't, they, they fool with it, whoever was catching it, but then they hand it to the mom. And so when they hand it to the mom that it takes its, you know, big old breath, and it takes a breath, she's talking to it, doing what she does with it, takes another breath, and this cord just starts pumping back up. Wow. And, of course, they hadn't cut the cord. That I mean, of course, we, we were that kind of people. Uh, and the placenta was still inside the mom anyway, but Thank it had goodness. already down but but this so this baby and this mom do you hear what i'm trying to say emily like this resuscitation came Uh from the first mother we call it the placenta as well as the baby's lungs as well as the mom and so back to the uh letter i had already started moving of like i can't it's i can't uh be a part of this movement, yeah. this direction, the direction of this movement. I can't do it. And so, and I also felt like, well, it was time for me to recertify. And I thought, well, I can't just, I, I know these people. They're my dear friends and they're my colleagues and I respect them and I love them. And they're passionate about who they are and what they're doing to help, you know, save birth and and you know, like so, I can't just—I don't know—just not send in, not send in anything, or let them think I'm dead, or who knows what. It's like I owed it to myself. And you helped build this. I mean, yeah, I mean, you were I, a big—you were number five. <laughs> I was number five, but yeah, oh yeah it's, awesome, it's an awesome, awesome history. It's filled with hundreds of mm-hmm. hundreds. Amazing, powerful midwives and and women, powerful women. Oh, the stories of around all of that formation are incredible. Like I said, Ruth Walsh, who was the president of NARM, and uh, single-handedly handled the uh, registration exam before uh, before NARM even went to a certification uh, process. But anyway, I, I so how was the response? So I owed it to myself to put my 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 truth down on paper. Well, what I have to say about that more than anything is, of course, I sent it to them. Um, and I'm off the grid, you know, so I don't really – and I don't do any kind of uh, social or professional media at all. But my, my good friend, Hermine, she's – I sent it to, you know, the NARM board, of course, and I also sent it to my own circle of – of support. Mm-hmm. Hermine was one of them, and a, a few, few other of my own, own close circles of support to hold hold sacred space for me. Not so much about even the norm work in it. I hadn't even thought of that part, but just me, you know, stepping outside of that circle. Was totally. big, it's a big, big deal. Choice. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a big choice. I knew it was coming. I knew I had to do it for years. It was coming, but but still, it's like okay, well. Now's the time, and I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And then Hermine was just like so emotionally moved by her own. You know, she she's just so powerful in her own right and what she's doing. And she's like, sister, may I have your permission, please, to print this? There, yeah. there are others who need to hear this. Yep, that's true. I gave my permission. She did what she did. Um, I, I'm and just, here we are. <laughs> now I I was just quietly that was back in, you know when it happened I was just quiet quietly in my garden, but mm. she starts calling me and writing me. She's like, "Sister, take my phone call, please pick up." 
I said, Hermine, what's wrong? And she's like, you're not going to believe this. So she tells me, you know, this, I sent it out there, but it's going out there and going out there. Like I sent it one place and now people picked that up and they're sending it in their circles and it's just going out there all these places. And I've got, may I have your permission to send you some of these incredible responses and letters. So I said, well, sure, you know, not too many because I can't <laughs> read everything, but but good, good if it's helping. Any, she said it's helping thousands of, you know, in here. So she sent me a few of these letters, and I was like, wow, they were better than I did, I felt like. Like, awesome. And they were all over the from all over the world, you know, these people who are, struggling with similar feelings and thoughts and, mm-hmm. you know, professionalized in their own countries and their own ways and, of course, here in the United States. And I was like, great, that's marvelous. And she's next day she calls, she's like, well, they're not all good. Some of them are mm-hmm. not great letters. May I send you at least one of those that are, you know, these people that are really upset and troubled? And I said, well, you know, I, I doubt it because... I'm not here to solve people's problems. Right. It's. I mean, they. And you didn't write it for anybody else. I mean, didn't you wrote, wrote it for, for them. you, and for them it's to not, have a issue with it is kind of just irrelevant, quite frankly. Yeah, they've got to figure out their own journey. This mm-hmm. might. Then, then the NARM board they they got a hold of me, um, uh, personally. You know, like not not just. Not just writing back as a board. They had, you know designated one of them to. Uh, write me and she wrote me you know with some questions but I could tell that it was you know I mean I'm not saying that she didn't have personal questions because they you know it's, it's a it's a big it, it's our only counter to the CNN movement as far as professionalism goes right in this country so it's it, it's got a lot of weight weight to it as it should for that for for that arena but I didn't really feel like I could answer her questions very much because I felt like, well, I know you're saying they're personal questions, but they're not. You know, they're going to go out then to, you know, so just I just felt like good luck to everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got to, uh, you know, figure all this out for themselves. And do you feel that peace in your heart with oh, it all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My goodness. I'm sure I didn't. Like I said, I don't do social and professional media so i'm sure there's a whole lot out there that went on and periodically or in the next few days or the next few weeks people would call and say oh my gosh sister people are so upset and they're saying these horrible things about you and i said oh that's not even possible they don't even know me yeah i didn't see any of that i saw just total connection and gratitude and deep deep Deeply touched well, people. The next wave that happened. So then, after the, a few weeks or whatever, then I start getting personally. I guess Hermine told them they they could write me personally. <laughs> these beautiful, like by the hundreds, these beautiful letters wow. of, oh my gosh, you've you know helped so much and helped clarify this, and then sometimes not like. Uh, I I feel I don't know what to do. You know, I'm trying to raise my family. It's my only bread. You know, I'm the breadwinner of the family, and I feel so divided. Do you have any words of advice for those of us who are trapped in between, you know, that can't just jump ship, and, and yet we we feel so horrible about, you know, what what's going on? You know, and so I, of course, I wrote them back with, you know, words of, of comfort and and uh inspiration because we all need that just like a Mm -hmm. mom who's birthing midwives need so much support especially if they're if they're they're birthing in captivity too right i mean i don't know if this way of midwifery is for the person who has to you know make a certain amount of money and and whatever whatever people like that are referring to i think that's hard to to need it to look a certain way when the flow of the midwifery you're talking about is so community-based and so... Well, but Emily, I think we can do it. If, as long as we keep uh, keep it alive, then it helps, you know, all the other places. As long as we aren't shy about our stories, 
it, mm-hmm. it helps all the other places. So, for example, there's a midwife in India, and she has a backup physician. So when they have to have a cesarean, here's an example. She wanted her to do, like, delay cord clamping, right? And she wouldn't really go for it very much. Maybe a little bit. This is with a cesarean. And so what she did, she used her culture. I, I met her in Germany. We did a conference in Germany, and that's where I met her. She went back from Germany after hearing my stories and and also some teaching. There's also, of course, teaching that can happen. But and but they sing the Gaia tree. I, I love the Gaia tree, too, because I'm a yogi, but... Um, but so she says to her backup obstetrician, "Well, which one of us wake up in the morning?" That's the advantage of a monoculture. Uh, mono we don't have that. We have a diversified culture here in America. But but there they have a monoculture. She says, "What? Which one of us wakes up in the morning and doesn't chant the Gayatri before we walk out the door?" Uh-huh. And this baby, it's their morning. Like it's their first morning. Uh-huh. So. How would it be if we chanted the Gaia tree before we cut the cord? Hmm. If the baby's all right and all. And so the, the the obstetrician is like, well, now that that's true. She's like, well, and which one of us chants the Gaia tree only once? Like, we should at least chant it three times before <laughs> we cord. And she they shocked her into doing it. Yeah. We we can we and I help you know L and D nurses all the time figure out sister what we've got to have a placenta in twenty minutes like it's required what can we do and I said we can do something we can can you turn off the lights can you make sure nobody's talking yeah can, you know, assuming the baby's you know fine and all that and so there's so many we can do this Emily we can reclaim. We can reclaim it, and then especially for people like you or may, maybe a lot of your circle, the more that women do just birth under a tree if that's where they want to birth or mm-hmm. in a cave or in their own bedroom or wherever, whatever their ideal is, it should be their ideal. Mm-hmm. Wherever they feel like they, because get ready, they're going to feel bliss. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to, work harder than moving a piano all by themselves because they're going to work harder than they ever worked in their life. Mm-hmm, but that's okay. They have their old brain. It's not the same as you and I talking about it. They're going to be in their old brain. So if we know how to poop, if we, you know, that's, if we know how to make love, if we know how to poop, if we know how to do any of the things that are biological, then it's going to be that big biological work and it's you know your hair's wet and you're wet all over and yeah and and you're in your old brain you can't talk mm-hmm. but language is part of the new brain you're not talking about it you're breathing like a wild animal and then that slippery baby just slips right out that's that's one the most important thing I like to hear when people start visioning their ideal. Mm-hmm. Hey, and does the baby slip out? Mm-hmm. I just helped a mom who had horrible uh, tear, you know, um, vaginal tear. By helping her, what I mean is I asked her, what's your ideal birth? And of course, she wanted to birth without tearing. Of course. And I'm like, can you just visualize your baby just slipping out, just going to slip right out? She's like, sister, my baby slipped out. Aww. <laughs> right. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's so important to spend some time in that creative, connective, intuitive dream space where you can allow yourself to get past the 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 need to protect and the need to um, prepare and prevent and just get into this space of what does your dream look and like the, and can you The best place to, to do that, Emily, is... With your butt in the creek or your bare feet on the ground or sure. laying underneath of the stars at night, like nature, choose nature, be in nature, and then let let your mind go way back of like, wonder how my great-great-great-grandmother birthed. You know, just it doesn't have to be your ideal birth yet. First, you've mm-hmm. got to get in touch with 
how does birth birth? Yeah. You have to figure out how birth births, and then you can start to go, oh, and what do I? How do I want to birth? Because I'm not my great 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 grandmother. I'm magic today. Mm-hmm. I'm a billion year old cell person today. I can have a candle if I want to, or I could be. What? What do? Do I want to? What do I want? How do I want it to be? But you got to be in nature to get in touch with all that. Mm-hmm. And other women, we need a sisterhood. Not in that moment to get in touch with, but I mean to sure. tell to tell somebody to hold it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to hold it to to then come tell the story to. To Gosh, for somebody just, to come clean it up. Deserves, at. It deserves so much reverence, and it's so absolutely healing and and beautiful and touching to hear you speak and, and hear you speak from such a space of reverence because it's, um, I think it's something that a lot of women feel like how you said in the beginning of so many women's birth journeys, they feel that excitement. They feel that they are, you know, whatever terms they use, they are about to go through a big mm-hmm. veil and it is a big deal. And somewhere and along the way, even more excitement after it's over. Exactly, they deserve that excitement to just grow and grow. And then they get to tell the details. They need a sisterhood to, to say, mm-hmm. and there was this moment and that moment, and I said, "Don't touch me," and whatever, <laughs> you know. Totally. Or they, or I laughed through it, or I, whatever. Or right then, I slipped on the blueberry smoothie and I birthed with blueberry hair, or whatever. <laughs> Whatever the details are, you've got a sisterhood to, you know, to share. It. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I could obviously talk to you forever, and I so appreciate this extended amount of time. And your your light and presence in the world is, is so valuable and important, and it's just so special to share this time with you. And I look forward to sharing your work and, and your voice and your book with everyone in my in my sphere. Well, Emily, I feel the same now about you. It's been such an honor and pleasure to get to know you and um, Simple and Sacred back mm-hmm. to you. And may you birth wild. Mm-hmm. I, I, got, I got all teary listening to you sing that song, just how Oh, it's just so simple, you know. It's like so much of this is all about unlearning and just getting yeah. back to the simplicity of it. And just what a sweet, sweet, simple little song to sing to these little souls coming on these journeys. Well, so blessed be, blessed do, sweet dreams to you. Thank you so much, sister. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good night. Take care. that's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.